When I picked up Detective Kenny Sylvia from the airport in Florida, I wondered if I'd made a huge mistake. This Left way. and then right. And was dragging him across the country for no reason. Or worse, into a possibly dangerous situation where he no longer had the legal authority of the police. I'd really like to know how much of this he's thought about over the past 13 years. We were there to find the original witness who had pointed the finger at Forrest Bloaty. I had tracked down a construction site he was supposed to be working at. It took a really long time, actually. To pin him down. To pin him down. Yeah. This was not the fancy Florida with golf clubs and resorts. This was gritty, empty, run-down buildings with patchy grass in between palm trees. All right. So just keep us, just stay on this. I see. As we headed over, we made a plan for how to approach. We don't want to alert him, so we have to approach him just real casual. It's really going to be a matter of his demeanor and some of the things that he says in detail. For ABC News, I'm Christina Kiley. This is a murder on Orchard Street. Come back? Yeah. I don't see anybody there. They're probably in the They're probably upstairs. We decided I would go up by myself to see if the witness was there. Kenny would stay in the car because we were worried his presence might make the witness jumpy. All right. I got this. I got this. My heart was racing. I walked over to the site feeling a bit like a soccer mom in my blue shirt and red sneakers. A very different picture from what I used to cut back with the NYPD. The foreman came down to talk with me. When I asked him about the witness, he told me that he wasn't there. But I looked up at the window on the second floor, and I saw him. There he is, right there. When the witness finally came down, he looked the same as he did in the footage. A little older, with glasses, but definitely our guy. This was it, the moment I'd been waiting for. I quickly described who I was and why I was there, and he looked at me blankly and said, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. I did used to live in New York, but a lot of crazy stuff happened up there, and that's why I moved down here. I was thrown. How could you forget something like that? After a while, when I hadn't gotten any further, I gave a signal, and Kenny came over from the car. I was hoping he might jog the witness's memory. And I tried to walk up nice and slow and, you know, just real casual, so I didn't raise anybody up. His initial response was, I don't remember that. I don't remember any of that. Like, I, I, I don't know what's going on. We still weren't getting anywhere. But then, 
the foreman walked away. The witness turned to us and said, Of course I remember all of that. I remember it like it was yesterday. You can just see the change in him. He said, You know, who gets to witness a murder very often? I asked him if he would sit down for an interview. He gave me a phone number. I gave him mine. And Kenny and I left. After we left, I called the phone number. It was a fake. So Kenny and I went back to the hotel, deflated. We had come so close. We sat there wondering what to do. But then, the witness called me. Right. No, I, I, I completely appreciate that. And said the people at his construction site weren't going to work with him anymore if they knew he was the witness to a homicide and if they thought he was a snitch. Well, I mean, you're not snitching on anybody. You're just, uh, what I want to do is just hear what you have to say and, uh, and we want to... After he yelled at me for a little while, he seemed to cool down and just started talking about the case. I'm talking about orchard. It's orchard and orchard and grand, actually. We can, uh, you know, if you wanted to come and we could come and meet you wherever to talk to you, you know. Before I knew it, he'd agreed to come to our hotel to meet with us, and said he'd be there in 20 minutes. So, how do you feel? I feel uh, pretty confident. I think uh, we finally found him, and it's going to work out. Kenny and I rushed to an empty conference room in the hotel. We sat down and waited. I still didn't believe the witness would actually show up. I remember Kenny's face looked relaxed, but his constantly shaking leg told me otherwise. I thought this is all you're going to get is a phone conversation, and suddenly now he's going to come here and meet. He's coming here in 20 minutes. Because this guy has, has, has been like the big question mark. Right. You know, I mean, this, this whole case took such a different turn because of him. Mm-hmm. He's convinced that that guy did it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. He's just right. Even now. Even now. This was the moment we were hoping against hope would happen. We could finally ask the witness face to face why there were inconsistencies in his accounts, and why he told the police he saw Forrest shoot Burke. And then he actually walked in. I really appreciate your coming in. Take a seat. I got you a bottle of water there. He didn't seem as nervous as we were. In fact, he didn't seem nervous at all. Um, I kind of want to just go through with you a little bit about... Kenny went into full detective mode, as I'd seen him do so many times. We'll start from the top. Okay. okay. He took the lead. I was walking down Orchard and got to the corner. Well, not almost near the corner. Heard some shot fire. And I actually see the sparks at this point. I, I, I see them. I'm walking down the block because I'm on, I'm on the... I think I'm on the left, the left side of the street walking down. Did you see them first? Or when you heard the shot, that's what brought your no, attention? No, I see him outside. How much did you have to drink? I had a few drinks, but I don't think I was, like, drunk to I was hallucinating. I could, I, right. could, I could walk home. Shots fired, so I went on the other side of the street now. There's a phone booth there. I called 911. I said, 
I heard shots fired. I think somebody got shot. After the shots was fired, I think they went in the building. But then Kenny confronted the witness with something he had never known, that there was a second witness who had told the same story as Forrest, that there were four men on the street that night, not two. Two days later, another witness comes forward. This witness said that they came out, they, they turned the corner, and then they looked and they saw two guys standing on the stoop and they saw two guys right here and one of them had a gun. As soon as they saw the gun, turned around and just started running. And right when they turned this corner, they heard the gunshot. Dude, there was nobody else out here but them people over there and me walking down the street. If anybody would have ran, they would have either came towards me, which then at that point I probably would have ran, or they went the other way. Mm-hmm. If they would have went the other way, I would have said, okay, he lying, but whoever did it went that way. What do I have to gain by lying? And then came the most revealing moment in that interview, the witness's explanation of why he'd stayed at the police precinct for so long that night. He'd stayed there for over 15 hours, ready to help with anything the detectives needed. Why? After you called the police, what, what called the ambulance, what made you stick around? Being nosy. <laughs> New York. Just being, at, the, at this time, I'm like, okay, I'm waiting for them to show up. I want to see at this point who got shot. One of the dudes is giving a statement to the police officer about what happened. Heard something about a, a, a black guy or whatever. So the police officer standing next to me, I kind of like nudged him and I, I turned around facing him and I nudged him. He looked at me, I'm like, yo, he's lying. It didn't happen like that. He's like, what? He's lying. I turned around, I like kind of nudged and him. And what you could have done was, listen, here's, here's my name, here's my phone number. It's 4.30 in the morning. I'm going home. If you guys need no, me, I'm just give me a call. You know why? Because like, he said it was a black guy. Now, if I go home at this point, who's the only black guy out there? Me walking on the block. Now they're gonna try to throw it on race. If he give that statement, I can't let that rock because now I gotta tell this police officer the story is both starting at this point. It suddenly made sense. He had heard Forrest tell an officer that Burke was shot by a black man, and he was a black man. The only one on the street at the time, he was protecting himself. He thought that if he hadn't said anything, he was going to be looked at as a suspect. After the interview, I turned to Kenny. So what do you think? Well, uh, I don't see him as somebody that could do this. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. The witness stuck to his story. He didn't waver for a moment. And even though we knew his story didn't exactly add up, both Kenny and I believed that he believed it. He's so convinced about what he saw, even after I told him about the 911 tape right. and what this other witness said. Right. I don't remember. I know I spoke to him. I know I interviewed him. Um, and I know he was sure about, you know, he was as sure then as he is now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't have a lot of, I didn't have a lot of the after interaction with him, you know, because I was still tied up with Forrest. I was still mm-hmm. in the room with Forrest trying, because I'm trying to shake Forrest because this guy is so convincing, you know, because mm-hmm. I go back and I'm like, well, maybe I should have talked to him a little bit more. Maybe if I spoke to him longer, he would have started doubting his own, you know, um, and then that would help me. Or maybe I could have helped this case sooner. He's adamant about what he saw. Mm-hmm. 
even though and there's he's totally like, convinced. This and is, this he's is totally convinced. What I saw is exactly day. what happened. Right. Not not what I saw. Maybe. No, there's no maybes. He has no maybes. It wasn't that I wanted the witness to be guilty, but I so wanted to find the person who had killed Burke. So after Florida, there was definitely a letdown. I knew we had exhausted all leads and that Kenny was back to square one again. Whenever I think of New York City and I think of the people involved, especially the family, the one person that I think of also is the guy who pulled the trigger. This is not the Orchard Street that I remember from 13 years ago. I mean, you can see just the cameras. Literally every 15 feet or so, there's a camera on both sides of the street. Had this been in place 13 years ago, we would have had everything on film and we wouldn't have to rely so much on sketchy witnesses. Obviously, everybody wants to know who the perp is. He's still a human being, and he, he still pulled that trigger. So as much as it's affected everyone, it's also affected him. I want to find this person and have him explain to us exactly why he did what he did. Fourteen years later, I can't stop thinking about the ripple effect. So many people were affected by this one crime. The victim, the victim's family, the witnesses, the police, the perp, and even me. Some folks don't stop searching till they find the truth. If you've got a detective's eye, June's Journey is the game for you. Play as June Parker in a gripping murder mystery as you find hidden objects to help solve her sister's death. You'll hunt for clues in hundreds of beautifully illustrated scenes set in the roaring 20s. New chapters are added weekly. Find your first clue by downloading June's Journey today. Available on Android and iOS mobile devices as well as on PC through Facebook games. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Everyone's life was changed profoundly, but none more than the O'Briens. Carly is now in her early 30s, and she lives far from New York City. First, I really wanted that moment to be able to look at whoever did this in the eye, just so that they, just so I knew and so that they knew. I think at this point, it's not about that. I think for me, it's about, I would like for my sisters to be able to sleep at night. Um, It's more just about um, there being some sort of justice around this incredibly horrible loss in our family. 
We're still working on um, making, making life happen. Rory, who was Burke's best friend and held him as he died, is now a therapist and has started a family of her own. She has two small kids and is married to a friend of Burke's. Having a budding family and having a, a budding marriage and life and to be kind of on the precipice of creating something new and full of kind of hope and future and you know my family unit that I came from has been so disintegrated so the idea of kind of having an opportunity to create that for my own life is is really exciting. Carly just got married. Rory left New York and now they both live near their older sister Mariah out west. Together they're all dedicated to making sure Burke's memory never dies. Mariah's got three kids too and the older three know all about, you know, their angel uncles and grandpa and grandma. I think it's so important that we have new life in our family. Burke O'Brien died on Orchard Street. His killer was never found, and his family has never forgotten. But they aren't the only ones. Over the last two decades, at least 100,000 American families have been left to grieve like the O'Briens, without answers, without justice. It's been almost two years since I last interviewed Rory and Carly, so I sat down with them and Kenny one last time to talk about the case and where it stands now, next time on a bonus episode of A Murder on Orchard Street. You could submit tips about this case to the NYPD by calling 1-800-577-TIPS. Again, that's 1-800-577-8477. A Murder on Orchard Street is a seven-part series produced by the teams at ABC News Nightline, ABC Radio, and ABC News Digital. Our website is abcnews.com slash orchardstreet. New episodes post Tuesday mornings on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, and the ABC News app. You'll find our other podcasts there, too, and at abcnewspodcasts.com. I'm Christina Kiley.